Pray to Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, Lord, we bless you for this opportunity to get into your word on tonight. Lord, we pray, let revelation now that flow freely, unchecked and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic force. I pray, Lord, that you would at least speak through my vocal cords and think through my mind. None of me and all of you, Father, we give you praise and, and, and glory in advance for everything you do in this session. It's in Jesus' name we pray, everyone that say, Amen. Submit this confession of my faith. Say, Father, I've come to receive revelation, wisdom, and understanding from your holy word. And I fully expect the Holy Spirit to bear witness with my spirit concerning revelation of the word and how to apply it in my life on a daily basis. I'm a doer of the word and not a hearer only. I'm a fruitful believer. Amen. All right, so we have been talking about the big payback or faith in the God of recompense for the last little while here. I believe we should be getting, well, I'm thinking that we are going to wrap this subject on Sunday as we close out this month. Uh, we only have a few more installments, but some of them will be condensed, and then we're going to shift it to another area, I believe, in the month of May. Amen? All right. But we have said thus far that the big payback is the God of recompense is to repay, to reward, to restore, to give back. And we looked at the varying points in regards to these areas. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time in review because of the hour, but we want to look at some areas uh, tonight and I believe conclude this area of God as the judge. And the reason why we are looking at this is because you cannot have a conversation about God being the God of recompense without talking about God as being the judge. Now, that being said, we are looking specifically, we looked at his righteous judgments and the nature of his righteous judgments. And we are specifically looking at the areas of, we're focusing in on these three judgments that are defined within the scripture. Uh, the first judgment we talked about was the sinner's judgment. And we're now beginning to talk about the second judgment, which is the judgment at the seat of Christ. We talked about that last Thursday. We're going to talk about it again a little bit more on tonight. But before we get there, I want us to start here at Ephesians chapter number two. Ephesians chapter number two. And we looked at this in regards to the sinner's judgment in verse number eight. It says, I the King James for grace for by grace are ye saved through faith. And not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, verse 9, lest any man should boast. So he is distinctly saying the only way that you get born again is through faith. By grace, through faith. By grace, through faith. I, it is not a product of my works that I get saved. It is through faith. Grace has made it available. Now, when you take the term grace and you take it out of a, the religious context, you ever heard of a grace period? That is, you come do this now, or otherwise the price is going to change. You come receive this now, or there's going to be something that shifts or changes. We are in this period that is defined holistically as the grace period of God. 
grace from rut, the wrath of God, the consequence of sin. So he says, by grace are ye saved through faith. Grace makes salvation available to you. We are in a period of time where you can receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or you can reject him. But the choice is yours. It's the restoration of the original choice that we see in the Garden of Eden, compliance to the laws of God or defiance. He says, through faith, not of yourself, it is the gift of God. He says, not a worse, lest any man can boast. So everybody in the kingdom of God comes in exactly the same. Doesn't matter whether or not I grew up at church, you did not. We all got to get born again. All of us. And I think, particularly in this region, one of the delusional things that happens is that we think, because you grew up in church, that means you automatically see. Because I used to think that myself. Because I was told, you're already saved. No, no, I'm a sinner. I knew it was a sinner. One of the ways I knew it was a sinner, because every time they talked about hell, I got nervous. And I was like, wait a minute, what? Hell? What? No, I don't want to, you know. And I was like, something, something ain't right here. You know, because I knew in my heart I was not born again, even though I was in church, even though I was singing in the choir, I was on the usher board, did all the churchy stuff. This is the reason why he says, not a works lest any man should boast. My salvation was no different than somebody that was on the street doing drugs, somebody was drinking all these kind of other things, and they got born again. God says, I treat everybody the same. You grew up in the church, he grew up in the street, didn't hear nothing about God. When you both come in the kingdom, God says, it ain't about the fact you grew up in church and he did not. Both of you had to get born again by receiving the gift of salvation. Nobody can boast about it. We all come in the kingdom the exact same way, through faith. Okay? Now, that being said, and the reason why I spend a lot of time pointing this out is because we got to break some of this religious, um, what's the word, this religious training and rhetoric, yeah, or I, that's the word, thank you, Holy Spirit, religious conditioning that we are used to in this, in this particular region, not understanding the distinction. Because if you don't make that mark here, you'll think that when I get to talking about works, you think that's what gets you saved. That's not what makes you saved. But saved people are expected to do some work. See what I'm saying? Going to church won't make you saved, but saved folk go to church. You know what I'm saying? So you have to have this distinctive line. Saved folks are expected to be sanctified, but being sanctified won't make you saved. See what I'm saying? All right, verse number 10. Now, this is where he says, for we are his workmanship. Now, he says this after explaining by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourself is the gift of God. He says it's not because of any work you do. Now that you understand that, let's talk about some work. <laughs> he puts it right behind it. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So right here we have verse 9. Works? No. Not by salvation. Verse number two, 10, he says, we are his workmanship. And he says, we've been created in Christ Jesus for a purpose or for good works. And then he says, which God has uh, before ordained that we should walk therein. In other words, God's original intent is for you to manifest certain things in your life, for him to manifest certain things through your life. 
You only qualify for these things when you get born again. Otherwise, you're doing good works. He doesn't like particularly, once again, you can be a good sinner, but your destination is exactly the same as what we define as the bad sinner. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Both of you gonna bust hell wide open because you didn't get born again. He's over here doing all these good civic things and is considered a wonderful person in the community. This person over here, well, we just know he's just a dog. But God says spiritually you are exactly the same because the only way you get born again is by faith. Ain't no difference. But when you get born again, God says, all right, let's get to work. One of the first things he begins to do, he says, separate from these things, separate from those things, and embrace my way of life. This is the process of becoming a disciple. He says, for we are his workmanship created to Christ Jesus unto good works. Now, out of the uh, New Living Translation, it says, salvation is not a reward for, those, for the good things we have done. So, none of us can boast about it. He says, verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, we are talking about this in light of the judgment seat of Christ. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. We are talking about this in terms of the judgment seat of Christ. And once again, we're putting this marker in place because the judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment seat for sinners. This is a judgment seat that Jesus himself is sitting on and he's saying, all right, let's examine what my children have done with the opportunities, the times that I gave them. Let's examine what you did with the family I put you in. Let's examine whether or not you were listening to my voice because he said, my sheep hear my voice and a stranger they will not follow. Let's examine your motivations, whether or not you operated in pride. This is when we pull open the books and have a little look-see. Okay? Now, once again, the look-see that takes place, you already in heaven. Okay? You there. You, know, you, you made it. Yes, you did. You done made it on up. And that had nothing to do with you. You received that by faith. He said, all right, you get to come on in the door because of what I did. We're going to look at these books and see what you did once you got born again, once your life changed. And then he says, out of the, um, I read this out of the Amplified because it breaks out this very well. It says, for we believers will be called to account and must all, all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be repaid or recompensed for what he has done in the body. Okay? There is going to be a repayment for what you did in this body. Which also indicates to us, once again, your physical body is not you. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a physical body. We know this to be true and evident, particularly when you go to a funeral. Because when you go to a funeral, the body is up front, but clearly somebody is not there. We should understand this as believers, and this is the reason why the last, the last enemy that will be defeated, according to the word of God, is death. 
Well, he's not talking about spiritual death because he overcame that when he got born again. The last death that will be defeated is this reality of the fact that should the Lord tarry, all of us will be sitting in front of the church in a casket, at least our body will be. That will be the last thing that is defeated. The last resident or residue of this dispensation that we live in, this fallen existence. So what happens is, once again, when a person dies, their spirit and their soul, the mind, the will, and emotions exit the body. And the body is left. Then the Bible tells us that as the final trump, that body is going to be resurrected. And we can talk about that in eschatology at a later time. Because we go down that route, we'll be there a long time. But the point that I'm making here is, for the believer, we know to be absent from that body, that means your spirit and your soul is present with the Lord. And at that present with the Lord state, this is where he begins to examine what you did. Come on in. You have these reunions. You see everybody. Come on in. All right. I'm going to need you to come this way, though. <laughs> Let's have an examination of what you did in the body. You made it. Yeah. I'm trying to ascertain what you mean by the question. The last thing that will be defeated is physical death, yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, for us individually, yes. But like I said, the only time when that absolutely changes is with the return of Christ. All right. Because otherwise, this will say, say the Lord returns today, tomorrow, or at the, you know, arguably, uh, if we are looking at the calendar, historically, it has not really been 2,000 years. That happens around the year 2030s, 31, 32, or 33, arguably. You know what I mean? Since if we're counting from the time that he died and was resurrected. Point that I'm making is, once again, there's going to be a time when man moves back to a position where he doesn't physically die anymore, which is where it was in the Garden of Eden. Death was established to break up the sin thing. Otherwise, if God did not put a limit of separation or death, then just like righteousness carries on forever, everything, see, Adam and Eve were never created to die. They were created to live forever. So when they sinned, in order to put a cap on that, he said, I got to put a limit on the number of years a man will live so that I can stop this from being a perpetual thing. Y'all with me? All right. Now, flip back over. Let's flip over to, uh, since you're in 2 Corinthians, look over here real quick. Uh, verse 17. I'll read this out of the King James Version of the Bible. This is verse number 10 that we've been focusing on and we are continuing to do so. But notice how Paul goes on and he talks about the existence or the new creation in Christ Jesus. He says, um, therefore, verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. 
Old things have passed away, all things are become new. Now, he's not physically talking about your physiology or your physical body because it's exactly the same. So he has to be talking about who you are on the inside. Okay? He says, verse 18, all things um, and all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, he says, all things are of God. He's brought us back into fellowship with God. Well, what fellowship did we have with God before the fall? You go back to Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, that man had a interpersonal relationship with God. God said, hey, Adam, what you want to call this animal? He said, I'm going to call that a goat. He said, sounds good to me. You got it, boy. What y'all want to do here? They had intermingling fellowship. Arguably, one of the things that you did not see in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 is a pastor, an apostle, prophet. None of these things existed. These are all gifts that God gives us to train us back into what we were before the fall. That's why he gave it to us in the New Testament. On the Old Testament, you see the uh, establishment of the priest. Again, it's to condition you towards righteousness. In the New Testament, where we are today, we are conditioning us back to get your righteous perspective back. So that's why, once again, as a plug, our church is called the Training Center. This is what we do. Okay? All right, let's keep going. All right, so uh, <clears throat> back in the verse number 10, once again, he says, we repay for what you've done in the body. He says, I the amplifier, whether good or bad. So the good stuff I've done or the bad stuff I've done, he said, you, we're going to repay you. That is, each will be held responsible for his actions. And we talked about his actions on the last two sessions. Now, I'm going to reiterate that tonight. <clears throat> the uh, amplifier breaks it out. He says, the purposes, the intentions are what you are intended to do or be. And then we looked at, he also says, the motives, the motives, why you did what it is that you did. And then he says, the use or the misuse of your time. The use or the misuse of your time. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us again, see that you walk circumspectfully, not as fools, but as wise. It must be apparent that a lot of people walk around like fools. But God says, I don't want that for you. You need to understand that you don't have forever to do what he's assigned you to do. Psalms 90 and verse 12 says out of the New Living Translation, once again, teach us to realize the brevity of life. I am this year 42. It does feel like I can close my eyes and see myself at 12. It feels like I can close my eyes and see myself back in high school at 16. Life goes by rather fast. One of the things that dates you the most is when you have kids. Turn around and you're like, Lord, Jesus, are we teaching her how to drive? <laughs> and then you turn around, Lord, Jesus, are we really looking at her going to college? Seems like we just brought her home. Because life is rather brief. And it's only wise people realize this early. Unwise people waste all the time and think that, okay, what, what happened? You, you, you wasted your time. You got born again, but you only have so much time left. That's the reason why we should take our yield when we're young. Serve God with the best of your days, not just what's left. 
There's, there's a lot of that going around as well. Well, all right, I'm getting old. Might well come on in the kingdom. Well, you know, I mean, you know, praise God that you're here. But see, there's going to be difference in regards to recompense because you didn't do that much. You did get in. Yes, you did. But by the same balance, you know, if somebody's given all of their life to God, there's a difference. You know what I mean? I gave God all my marriage. You give him a part. God said, give me all of it. Give me all of your time. Give me all of your effort. You are hearing this because that call is on you. Now, notice this next section. He says opportunities. All right, we're going to be judged on the time, our use and misuse of time. And the next area he says is opportunities. Now, let's look over here at Galatians chapter number six. Galatians chapter number six. I'm going to do some flipping with y'all as well. Galatians chapter number six. All right, so we looked at time. We looked at the use and misuse of time. I never spent this much time breaking this particular scripture out, but I felt led to, to just not run over it. So when I am in heaven at the judgment seat of Christ, he's going to look at my times that I use or the misuse thereof. He's going to look at the opportunities that I gave you. Galatians chapter 6. That's it. And verse number 10, out of the New Living Translation says, Therefore, whenever we have, and they use the term, opportunity, we should do good to everybody, especially those in the family of faith. He says, whenever you have opportunity, you should do good. Or in other words, another translation says you should give. I should especially give, he says, to the family of God, those that are in the household of faith. If I have an opportunity to do something and I don't do it, then God's like, wait a minute now. Let's look over here at Proverbs 3 and verse 27. Proverbs 3 and verse 27. I want you to notice this in light of what I just said. Proverbs 3 and verse 27. You got it? All right, the scripture says this. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it. I'm reading that New Living Translation. When it is in your power to help them. He says, do not, just this verse alone right now, he says, do not withhold good from those, and he puts the caveat, who deserve it. And he says, when it is in your power to help them, so when God has given you an opportunity to help somebody, he says, do good. We've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You have the ability to do so. Well, where do you think the ability to do so came from? Notice this, verse 28. If you can help your neighbor, now don't say, come back tomorrow and, and, and then I'll help you. That's in your Bible. How many times have we done that? Look here, uh, I could, but I just really don't want to right now. Because <laughs> just come back tomorrow. And I'll take care of you now, but tomorrow. Now, there's a balance. And we understand, you know, there's sometimes, you know, you got to physically rest. You got to let your yes be yes and your no be no, okay? But what he's indicating to us essentially is that it should be a situation where you are looking for areas where God gives you opportunity to bless people. 
Y'all with me? All right. Y'all looking at me funky now. <laughs> okay. All right. I thought this bow was done now. I'm, I'm, I'm looking back. All right. So Galatians 6 verse 10 says, you have given, God gives you giving opportunities. Proverbs 3 and verse 27 indicates that he gives you opportunities to do good. And then we understand that Romans tells us that we are particularly as Christians supposed to be even doing good to people that are considered our enemies. Yes? Don't shout me down. <laughs> okay? So, once again, when you appear before the judgment seat of Christ, God's going to be like, look now, now I love you. But you know good and well you had an opportunity to be a blessing here. <laughs> you know that. Because I was telling you. That's the reason why you felt bad when you said no. <laughs> All right. The next area he talks about, that's why we say these last, <laughs> these for last. Next area he says, again, as we break that particular one scripture out, he indicates to us... <clears throat> Whether good or bad, that is, we will be held responsible for uh, his actions, purposes, goals, motives, the use and misuse of his time. And then he says opportunity. And the last one he uses is abilities. Abilities. What are abilities? Stuff you can do. Gift things that he's given you. See, some people think that, you know, you've been given a gift and God's not going to ask you, what you do with my gift? <laughs> what you do with it? Turn over, if you will. Mm. To Matthew, let's take a look at something really quick. Matthew, I got my Bible all out of order here. <laughs> Matthew, and let's look at verse uh, chapter twenty-five. Matthew chapter twenty-five. He says opportunities are the next thing or the last thing on this list that God's like. I'm going to have to look at the abilities that you have been given. Notice this. This is the parable of the three servants. <clears throat> Matthew 25. Matthew 25. And I'm going to read this for the sake of the way it reads still out of the New Living Translation. It says, let's look at verse number 14. Scripture says this, again, the king of heaven, uh, the king of heaven can be illustrated, or the kingdom of heaven, sorry, can be illustrated by the story of the man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted, notice, I want you to notice how it says that this translation, I think it's something similar in the King James, but it says, he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Whose money? His money. He entrusted them with his money which means he never saw it as something that he was losing possession of he just transferred stewardship over to them verse 15 he says he gave five bags of silver to one two bags of silver to another and one bag of silver to the last dividing it in proportion now notice this Proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. So, 
This guy said, all right, I know the abilities of my servants. And I'm going to give one of y'all five, next one two, and one of y'all you're going to get one. Now, the way we like to think of things in church, well, why can't you give everybody five? Because God knows your ability to handle what you can handle. And I'm only responsible for what he gives me. I'm not responsible. Old Joker got five. Bless God. I mean, he could trust you with the five. And, and that's not to say that he don't love me, but it means that I'm only responsible for what he's given me in proportion to my abilities. And, you know, for some of us, we have to have enough humility to say, you know, maybe I couldn't handle doing all that. <laughs> you know, I can handle the two or the one that he gave me. But he says, I gave them in proportion to their abilities. Watch this, verse 16. The servant who received the five bags and the silver, five bags of silver, began to invest the money and earned five more. So he invested it and he turned a profit on it. Verse number 17. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. So the first one he had, he had, his ability was an investment. I mean, he might have been the one that said, I'm going to invest in this stock and invest in that, and I'm going to turn this profit. That was his abilities. The next one, his abilities were in proportion to his work ethic. Okay, I can go out here, man, I can, I can start this business, and we can turn this sucker around, and we can do this. So I'm going to do this with what he's given me. Verse 18, but the servant who received one bag, of silver, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Dug a hole in the ground. That means you invested in nothing. That means you were a person that, yes, you were only given one bag, but you had one bag's worth of ability and you squandered it. Notice what it says here. After a long time, verse number 19. Their master returned from the trip and called them to give an account on how they used, and this version says again, his money. It was always his money. You lost the money, bless God, it was his money. You invested the money, it was his money to multiply. It was always his money. Verse 20, and the servant to whom he was, who he had entrusted with five bags of silver, came forward with the five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I earned five more. Now, verse 21 says, the master was full of praise, and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now, everybody said they won't hear this, right? But a lot of times we take it out of the context. Jesus is talking about people that use their abilities in this parable and they use them wisely. He says to the one that took his five talents and multiplied it, five bags of silver and multiplied it, took what God gave him and did more with it. He says, well done, thy good. And he says, faithful servant. So he says, there's two distinctions for the people that use their abilities wise. They're good. Sounds like it's a correlation between I've created you unto good works and they're faithful. Because you are not going to reproduce with the abilities that God has given you if you don't have both good works that he's assigned you and being faithful to the assignment that he's given you. I love your enthusiasm. (laughs) 
Verse 21, he says, and the master was full of praise once again. And he said, well done, that good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So he says, out of this translation, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. This is what this version says. He says, you passed the test because you took the abilities and you multiplied it. Now notice what he says with the next one. He says, verse 22, the servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I've earned two more. Now notice what he says. He says, verse number 23, he says, the master said, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you more responsibility. He says, let's celebrate together. Now, it's the same response. <laughs> we can gloss over it. It's the same. The five got treated exactly the same as the one had two. Well done, thy good and faithful servant, because God is looking at what he gave you. He wants to celebrate and give you more responsibilities in proportion to what he gave you charge over. He ain't going to say, well, well, why didn't you get 10? <laughs> he didn't, he, you multiply what you had. A lot of people are looking up the street what somebody else has, and they want to multiply what they see somebody else have. And God said, that's not what I gave you. What did I give you? What abilities did I give in your hand? Are you maximizing with every talent that I put in your hands and your ability? Now watch this, the latter one, verse 24. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I know you were a harsh man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. Now notice this. This is key. Verse 25 says, I was afraid I would lose your money. So the one that didn't do anything did not do anything because of fear. The other two said, all right, it's your money, it's your, you've given me the capability and responsibility to do something with it. I don't have fear. I'm going to do the best I can do with what you gave me. But this last one said, the reason why I didn't do anything is because I was afraid. I was afraid to lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. So I dug a hole and put your talent in a hole. I was afraid that I might fail, God. So that's the reason why I hid my abilities away. See, now at the judgment seat of Christ, God's going to be like, but I gave you this ability. But you lessened the fear instead of listening to faith. Notice he says, I was afraid to lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. He says, look, here's your money back. Now, the funny part about this parable is you, you almost get the impression that this servant thinks he, something, something good's going to happen. I saw how you just said these wonderful things about this one and that one. See, here is everything you gave me back, God. Here's everything you gave me back, Master. And the Master does not respond to him the same way. He says, verse 26 out of the New Living Translation, but master, the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Wicked, what is that? Twisted. 
you're twisted in your thinking. You're warped in your understanding about how this is supposed to work. And then you think you were being frugal when in reality you were being lazy. If you are going to see a manifestation of greater responsibilities in the kingdom of God, it means that you have to have the right thinking and you cannot be lazy. Wrong thinking, wickedness, is the opposite of good. He says, again, he says, you wicked and you lazy. Lazy is the opposite of faithful. Good and faithful servant. He says, you are wicked and you're lazy. He says, if you knew, verse 26, I harvest crops I didn't plant and gather crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I would have gotten some interest on it. So what is he saying? I mean, you already knew that I'm about making this money. <laughs> this, is, this is in the parable. Why didn't you do the least bit? How can we apply this to our life? When we get to the judgment seat of Christ, I don't want God to say, all right, why don't you just do something? The bare minimum. I mean, bless God, you might have missed it 10 different ways by making your attempt, but at least you did something. Some people, they're going to die, and God's going to be like, you didn't do anything. I gave you one talent. Now, I understand you admire the person up the street. They were writing books, and for me, they had this mega church, all these things. They had the five talents, praise God. And he gave you one. What you do with the one he gave you? This person had this major business, and they went around this juggernaut. God may not have given you that. But he gave you something. What did you do what he gave you? Notice he says, wicked and, uh, wicked and lazy servant. He says, uh, verse 27, uh, verse 28. Then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. So he says, you just got the one, you ain't doing nothing with the one. Take that away from that one and give it to the one that knows how to do with it what I require of them. And he says, to those who use well what they are given, verse 29, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. A lot of people wonder why in the world, you know, you seem like your, your, your abilities that you used to have, the older you get. You know, I play the piano. Just, just point of reference, right? If I use my abilities and practice all the time, it gets better. If I stop practicing the piano, that ability, little by little, people say, you seem like you lost your hand because I haven't been using my ability. If you don't use your abilities, God says, all right, I got to move on. And I'm going to transfer that thing that I gave you over to somebody else that will be productive in the kingdom with the assignment. And it's not God that is at fault here. 
This is the God of recompense. He says, you ain't doing nothing with what I told you to do. No way. I got to give it to somebody that's going to do it. Even though I ordained you to do it, I wanted you to do it, and I, there's something about your personality that I want to work through so it would be a deposit within the earth. But the reason why I can't do it is because of you, not me. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4. See, I'm down now. Latter scripture that says, and now he says, throw them out into, uh, into the utter darkness where there's gnashing of teeth. One of, this, one of the things that this can represent, gnashing of teeth, in verse number 30 of that passage of scripture, is when you are in a position in your life where you're no longer able to do it. Your ability, you pass your moment. And then you're looking and saying, if I would have just did this instead of being afraid. I was afraid to move. And sometimes, you know, I've talked to some older folks and they look back and they're like, there was that opportunity that showed up in my life and I had the abilities and I missed my moment. And what are they doing at that point? They're gnashing their teeth. First Peter chapter 4 and verse number um, uh, 10 out of the Amplified, really quick for the sake of time. The scripture says, just as each, uh, each one of you has received a spiritual gift, a special talent, an ability graciously given by God. Employ it in serving one another as, as, it as it is appropriate for you or for good stewards of God multifaceted grace, faithfully using and using the diverse uh, varied gifts and abilities granted to Christians by God. In other words, he says, since you've been given the ability, use your abilities for the glory of God. Last scripture for the sake of time. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And let's look at verse number 6. Romans chapter 12. This is where we're going to close. Romans chapter 12. Verse number 6. Now, I have a full expectation of having a bunch of Genesis experts since we had two months. Hmm? Two months. So, Genesis experts. I'm here to say, y'all remember what it said over in Genesis 32? You can be like, yes, I do, Pastor. You, let's talk over. Genesis chapter 12. In, you, got, you got it? <laughs> two months. Amen. Now, Romans chapter 12 begins with telling you to present your body unto God, which is as a holy sacrifice unto God. He talks about don't copy the world. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing. And then he begins to talk about Every man been dealt the measure of faith, but let's drop down, if you will, to verse number six. Verse number six. And then notice, because all of it is good, we don't have time to go through all of it. But verse number six, he says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. There's something that you can do well. You, you got a gift that he's giving you. It comes easy to you. It comes natural to you. It's connected to your passion. He says a gift that you've done well. So if God has given you the ability, and he's saying spiritually right here to prophesy, he says speak 
out with as much faith as God has given you. Now, we look at that and we say it strictly in a spiritual sense. Yes, prophecy, and we understand that, and we can talk about that. What is prophesying? That means God's giving you a speaking ability. You have, you have an ability to command people verbally. He says, speak out and use all your faith to do it because he's giving you that ability. That's another way of looking at it. And he says, if your gift is serving others, he says, serve them well. If you have a service anointing on you and you have a passion, man, we got to help people. Bless God. We got, we got to get out here. I mean, y'all see what's going on in the neighborhood. You want to see what's happening? We got to, what's wrong with you? Well, that's your gift. <laughs> it's connected to your passion. All of us don't feel that way. And we feel it generally, but there's a special passion that you have because it's a gift. He says, then do it well. He says, if you are a teacher, he says, teach well. You have an ability to take complex things and break it down so it's palatable for other people. He says, do it well. Notice he says, if, verse 8, if your gift is encouraged, is to be an encourager, encourage others. He says, be encouraging. You have a gift. There is something that he's giving you that every people, people just like coming around you because they feel encouraged in your presence. He said, do it well. Do it well. Do, do use your gift. Consequently, one of the reasons why depression shows up in so many people's lives, particularly these people that have an encouraging anointing, is because the devil sees that you are an encourager. And since you are someone that empowers people, he says, I got to discourage you so you won't empower the other people. Notice he says, verse number eight, if it is giving, give generously. Some people, man, I man, just love giving. Some of us got to be trained in that. <laughs> okay? But some people, it's just natural. They love to give. They get excited, not about receiving, but giving. He says, give generously. And then he goes on to say, if God has given you leadership abilities, take the responsibility seriously. He's giving you an ability to lead. Why does he say responsibility and leadership? I submit to you is because if God's giving you a responsibility or he's giving you a gift of leadership, don't use that to abuse people. Take it responsibly. He says, going on latter part, take it responsibly and seriously. He says, and if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, he says, do it gladly. Do it gladly. What is that? He says, at the end of your life, you're going to be held responsible for the gifts he's giving you. He, you're going to be held responsible for the abilities he's giving you. And because he's giving you abilities, he says, I'm going to hold you responsible because I'm going to give you opportunities for you to use those abilities. What are you going to do with it? Ain't nobody getting younger. What are you going to do? Are you going to say, well, all right, next year is my year. Is that faith or is that fear? It might not be that God said, take a full step this year. It might be he says, I want you to start planning. And preparing, planning and preparing because I prepare prepared people. Do you have a business plan? If you don't, whose fault is that? Let's stand to our feet for some of us. <laughs> Let's go ahead and pray. <laughs> 
<laughs> and we'll pick up here on Sunday as we close out, I believe, I think we'll close out the uh, God of Recompense. See, the idea here is giving God something to bless. He's placed abilities in your hands. He's going to say, what you going to do with it? Notice for everybody in our parable, multiplication came with the display of faithfulness and being good at what he gave them. So I got to maximize on the level that I'm on. And when that happens, one day God's going to come and he's going to say, I see what you've been doing and I'm going to multiply according to your ability to handle it. But the question is, what am I doing with what he's given me? Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, Lord, we bless you. For you are the one that gave us the ability. Lord, you even said in your scriptures that you're the one that gives us the power to get wealth. You are the one that will be judging us based on whether or not we did what you assigned us to do. And Lord, we repent for misusing opportunities. We repent for misusing our abilities. We repent, dear God, for times of being lazy and being wicked in regards to the talents that you've given us. Lord, we choose as an act of our will to trust you. Trust you with what you gave us. Trust you with the talents that you get. Not be envious of the talents and the abilities that you gave somebody else, but to maximize what you gave us. Lord, show us how to use our time wisely so that we can be good stewards in the kingdom of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, Amen.